break. I don't like this. Whoa! What's happening? Whoa! Where are we? Hey, everybody, and welcome back to your favorite G.I. Joe podcast show coming at you live on tape. Nope. I mean, we were, we're live recording it. I know that's Min- a minimal bit, editing, but I hate it. I truly hate it because it's just, it's, just, it's such a lie. I mean, we're not going back and like re-recording segments or anything. Like once we screw it up, it is screwed up forever. Oh, well, no, no. My laziness obviously overcomes my, you know, uh, uh, beliefs in this sort of thing, but actually I like that as a tagline for the show. Once it's fouled, it's fouled forever. Knowing is half the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I am Ray Stacanus. Robert Clark Chan. I'm Gina Ippolito. Oh, you two are so cute when we have a guest and you just say your names right away. It makes me so happy. Listen, we're on our best behavior, sir. <laughs> you are, because we have a special guest here with us that we all love and respect. Uh, of course, uh, uh, you know, G.I. Joe writer, Transformers writer extraordinaire, uh, all kinds of other wonderful things. One of which is this episode of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, that we'll be talking about quest of the skeleton warrior holy f is all i have to say we'll get into it he's back once again buzz dixon is back with knowing is half the podcast buzz how are you today i am great thank you for having me back on oh my goodness now uh, before we get started and you wrote this episode of dungeons and dragons and you have a lot to say about it i could tell because i kept asking you questions before we got started and then you started up a story and then you're like i'm gonna save it you start up a story i'm gonna save it and i appreciate you for that because that's why i'm a terrible host and you're a great guest (laughs) um but let's talk about your new book first off because you know you've got a new book uh that's coming out throughout the summer and Mm -hmm. it's called cheeky and this book is about well i mean uh, I'll, i'll i'll give the the log line as you sent it to me and then i'll let you take it from there buzz Okay. Uh, Vermont teenagers discover an old law declaring part of their town a clothing optional zone is still in effect, <laughs> and they take advantage of it, much to the irritation of their parents and other adults. <laughs> Fantastic. Everything you want. Northeast <laughs> politics, nudity. That's all I want. Those two things. That's all I want. Yep. Politics and nudity. What can go wrong with that? <laughs> nope. Nope. Just got a picture of Bernie Sanders naked in my head. Not happy about that. <laughs> you can throw in some religion too. I mean, I, I take I take swipes at everybody, but I take good natured swipes. I mean, there's no there are no axes to grind in this. It's just, um, um, you know, fun stuff. There's, a, there's an edge, but it's a soft edge. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and this and this is and this actually is based on something that really happened in actual yes. Vermont this millennia. Yes, yes. Now, I want to uh, hear about that. Yeah, well, um, it actually started uh, in the previous century. Uh, back in the mid-70s, there was a hippie commune outside the town of Brattleboro, Vermont. And as you would expect with a hippie commune, there were a lot of naked shenanigans going on, you know, <laughs> topless farming, skinny dipping, stuff like this. And the people in Brattleboro uh, got upset about it. and. Uh, you have to understand how New England towns are organized politically. Once a year, typically in March, they have a town meeting where everybody in town gets together. 
they hash out whatever needs to be done in the town, whatever laws need to be added or changed or dropped. They figure out a budget, how they're going to pay for everything. And then once it's voted on, it's locked in place for a year. They hand it over to a town manager or to a select council to actually implement it. But once they pass something, you can't do anything about it for a year. You have to wait until the next town meeting. So if you screw up your budget, if you if you haven't budgeted correctly or you've made some other error, you just have to live with it until you can get people together. So when this hippie commune sprang up, about half the people in town wanted it shut down. But being <laughs> Vermont, the other half of people, even though they didn't like it, said, no, you know, we believe in freedom. They have the right to do whatever they want on their property. So the compromise was they voted to make the farm that the commune on was on a clothing optional zone. And they defined <laughs> it by three roads and a river so that anything within that boundary, that was clothing optional. And that seemed to solve the problem. A couple of years later, um, the, the commune, you know, collapsed. It, uh, you know, half the people stayed in town and just became townies. The other half drifted off. Uh, everybody forgot about the law and developers took over the farm. They subdivided it. They turned it into suburbs, into shopping centers, things like this. And then in the year 2000, somebody discovered they had never repealed the clothing optional law. So <laughs> that part of town in that part of town, you could legally go naked. In fact, you could not only, not merely legally go naked, you were allowed to undress in public. Vermont, I did a lot of research for this book. Vermont has no law against public nudity, but if you take your clothes off in public, they can accuse you of a lascivious display, okay? And they can arrest you for that. So if you're gonna, if you wanna go naked in public in Vermont, you either leave the house naked or, or you know, find someplace private to undress and then step out. But you just can't take your clothes off in public. They can arrest you ah. for taking the clothes off. But once they're off, they can't arrest you. The, super, the so, Superman rule, if you will. Yeah, you must find yeah. a phone booth. <laughs> you got to find exactly. a phone booth. Yeah, um, I love it. So basically in 2000, some, some young people discovered this, high school and college age people. Uh, from my research, I don't think there was ever more than 12 to 16 people doing this, like uh, and not, not all at the same time, but they were doing it frequently. And the town just put up with it until uh, the end of summer, and they thought when summer ended, because it gets cold in Vermont, that would be the end of it. Well, the next year, 2001, they had not forgotten about it. They came back. So in uh, March of 2002, they slammed that door shut. They repealed the uh, <laughs> clothing optional law. They, uh, uh, you know, made sure that nobody could take advantage of that anymore. So that was that's the real life origin of this. When I when I read about this. Uh, I, I naturally go, well, you know, we can turn this up to 11. And instead of just, you know, a handful of people doing it, we'll get all the kids in town doing it. And uh, as I've pointed out, the, the book traces a fad, an idea as it goes from unthinkable to outrageous to um, um, 
edgy, to outre, to chic, to hip, to popular, to mainstream, to passe, all in a single summer. We're just, we're basically doing uh, a postmortem on how a fad starts, flourishes, and ends. Uh, and as a result, since I wanted to set it in contemporary times, um, I couldn't use a hippie commune, so I changed it to an art colony because Vermont is lousy in art colonies and music conservatories, and um, that was that was the springboard from it for it. I love it, and you're writing this sort of. Uh, uh, what's the what's the best What's the best way to describe this? Because you're not releasing the entire novel at one time. You're doing chapters here and there throughout the summer. Did I get that right? Yes. Um, the book is written in such a way that every chapter is a day in the summer. So from like June 1st through the first, I think, uh, September 7th, every day is a chapter. Oh, my gosh. Um, um, well, the thing is, is that a lot of these chapters are only about 400, 500 words long. So there are, there are several times where I will put two or three chapters together and put it as one episode on uh, Kindle Vela. Kindle it. Vela, it's, it is similar to Wattpad. Um, you get the first three episodes free, and if you sign up, you get like 200 tokens for free as a bonus for signing up. It is, it's only like $1.99 to get you know some tokens. And then you use the tokens to buy episodes of uh, stories that you like. Okay. And, you know, the longer a chapter is, the more tokens it costs. I mean, that's logical. Sure. So Interesting. Uh, I had written this book um, and I, I wanted to get it out. I didn't want to drop it unknown on the world. Um, so I thought, well, you know, start it on Kindle Vela. Give people a summer to uh, discover it, to follow it. Uh, they can they can start if they don't like it, you know, fine. They can they can stop reading it. They don't lose anything in the process. But if they do like it, they'll have something every day they can read on their phone or on their laptop or um, you know iPad, whatever whatever they're using. And come October, uh, we will be releasing it as both a uh, Kindle ebook and as a trade paperback. So uh, it's it is definitely coming out this year. And um, um, there will be other books uh, launching shortly too. I've got a, a stockpile of books, so you will you will see plenty coming from me over the next few years. That's and very cool. Very cool. I had never heard of this Kindle Vela. I'm getting I'm into. Literally it. looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. Yeah, that is very cool, Buzz. Yeah. Well, we're we'll actually writing uh, a book, Gina. Yeah, uh, Gina. You know, I mean, I might, I might get inspired by Buzz here. This might, this might be my next undertaking. Uh, but then that would mean less time for podcasting, boys. <laughs> That's <laughs> seems I, very I, unlikely. I don't know how you could spend less time podcasting, <laughs> Gina. <laughs> <laughs> So, well, here's the deal, everybody. Now you know about, if you didn't know already, Kindle Vela, uh, obviously at least two of us on the show had was not aware of this particular service. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I have, I've just, I posted a link to uh, Cheeky by Buzz Dixon, author, on Kindle Vela. It has also gone up on the Twitters. 
So uh, you guys have those links. If you go to at GI Joe podcast, you can get the links to go to all of these things or just go to Amazon Kindle Vela and, and search for Buzz Dixon. You'll find it like in one second that way. I'm just saying that's something you should have done anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's all I have to say about that. But let's talk a little bit about Dungeons and Dragons. You know, I think this Dungeons and Dragons things, uh, it might last. I don't <laughs> think it's just a phase, everybody. It's had a, you know, it's had a big couple of years. The the most recent season of Stranger Things, a uh, lot of lot of D references. Buzz, are you a Stranger Things fan by any chance? I I am not watching regular broadcast TV much anymore. To be honest with you, I um, I'm trying to spend more of my time writing and developing new ideas and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And most of the stuff I watch, uh, this is going to sound uh, blasphemous. I know, I watch YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, no, there's some good stuff on YouTube. I've watched a lot of YouTube. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think we probably all do. Uh, But but the most recent uh, season of Stranger Things on on Netflix had a whole storyline of of the kids playing D and D and and it tying into the sort of '80s satanic panic. And uh, and I think between that and the D and D movie doing as well as it did, it's it's had a big it's had a big couple years of big resurgence. So I would not be surprised. Uh, I was saying right before we started that this this YouTube channel that we watched this D and D episode on has a lot of followers. So it, people are out there. I, I, look, I'm just going to put it out there. Reboot the the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon of the '80s. No, they. Uh... Um, Michael Reeves wrote a, a Capper episode, Requiem, that uh, has been adapted as a audio drama. Oh, and I was just reading about that on the Wikipedia page. the 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 one that they that never aired, but yep. but that was supposed to tie everything together in the end. It was Fascinating to, to bring it to a conclusion because mm-hmm. Michael and a lot of us felt that um, you know you you owed it to the audience to let them know that the kids got back. I mean, yes. you read you read uh, Chronicles of Narnia, you know the kids get back. Uh-huh. Alice uh-huh. in Wonderland, you know she gets back. Uh-huh. The 80s television, though, Buzz, you they never get back. Quantum <laughs> Leap, he never got home. Alf, final episode, abducted by the government. Like, no, but you th- just don't, you don't get that ever. But this yeah. was actually fascinating to me because because at least the way the way it's it, it's sort of written, it says that the kids the kids are given the opportunity to go home, but it's left on sort of a cliffhanger if they decide to go home or continue to to deal with the evil that still existed in the realm. Did we get picked up for another season? Yep. <laughs> oh, we didn't. No, they went home. Yeah. Well, I don't know how many. Do you remember any of you um, the Tom Sawyer animated show that uh, Hanna Barbera did? Oh, very vaguely. A season or two after Johnny Quest, uh, they did a show where they they put three uh, live action kids against uh, animated backgrounds, where you know animated uh, stories, where uh, Injun Joe you can't use that name anymore mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. is like the perennial menace tracking them down from from you know alternate reality to alternate reality they never got out so i, I know, am looking uh, i am it, looking at the uh, the uh, adventures of tom sawyer one season 1980 adventure show 
aired January to December 1980, but episode two is titled The Whitewashing Party. And wow, that's prescient of the modern GOP. Yep. <laughs> now, this was before this. This was um, back oh, in, okay. like I said, it was a season or two after Johnny Quest. Oh, okay. So this would be back in the 60s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. I remember hearing about the show and turning it on because I, I like Johnny Quest. And I was thinking, even at that age, if they do the same thing with this that they did with Johnny Quest, it is going to be a great show. And it was not a great show. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, no. Wow. Yeah. Um, so 1960s adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Uh, plenty of words and names of characters you probably could not use in the year 2023. I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. That's a dangerous property. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom- so reboot, reboot Dungeons and Dragons, but leave that one alone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't want to know actually what Wenger's uh, actual uh, original name was. We just don't use that one anymore. Woof for that. You know what? By the way, again, I was reading about what that final episode was. And, you know, the reveal that is spoiler alert for this uh, this Dungeons and Dragons from from 1983. Uh, the reveal that Wenger is a dungeon master's son is pretty cool. Whoa. Didn't yeah. Even know that. Wow. Spoiler yep. alert. Yeah, I guess I guess it would have I guess that final unproduced episode would have confirmed once and for all that I guess there's one episode where Dungeon Master refers to him as my son, but then in the unproduced episode they they 100% confirm yes, that's his corrupted son and he in the last episode uh uh sort of sort of redeems himself, I guess. Okay. And to be fair, uh, it is Venger I said Wenger, and then I got Gina to say Wenger, mm-hmm, and it was mm-hmm. wrong, and I knew it was wrong, and I did, before we get this completely out of control, it's Wenger. Stop throwing soda cans at your radio. Uh, <laughs> two things. I knew that you were wrong, but I let it slide because in my head, I'm just thinking, the Wenger bus is calling, the Wenger bus is calling, New York and San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The thing is, once Gina did it, I was worried about mass infection. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are here in the post-COVID era, and I just didn't want that uh, to get uh, spread. (laughs) I have a metaphorical mask over my brain, so you can't get me. You can't hurt me anymore, says Robert Clark Chan. (laughs) But I've hurt you plenty in the past already. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Quest of the Skeleton Warrior. And uh, before we got started, uh, this episode is wild. This is insane television. I'll just say it, Buzz. I couldn't, my, the first like 10 minutes of this 20 minute property, my jaw was just hanging wide open as I could not believe what I was seeing. And then I had to do a double take because I remembered it was coming from obviously 1983. This is young uh, Buzz Dixon, early career Buzz Dixon. And this is really showing sparks of the writer that you were going to flourish into later. Um, this is wild television and we are all better for it. This explains my nightmare youth. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I, I, I guess love I should a... take credit or blame them. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I love a, I love anything that, you know, there's, a, there's sort of a joke on Dr. Who of old and new that they always yeah. had to come up with ways to separate the doctor from his companion because it would just be too easy 
if they were always together, then the doctor could sort of figure things out. I love anytime there's a let's separate the party in interesting ways episode. So every time another one sort of got scooby doo away from the main group, I was like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> Wait a minute. That, that's what you thought was Dr. Hooey about this? I mean, there's a lot of Dr. Hooey things about it, but separating the party is a Dr. Who thing. Uh, yeah, but then there's also... That's impossible. It's bigger inside than outside. Oh, oh yes. Exactly. I'm just saying. No, I also marked that down. Oh, okay. I think that's all a bunch of Dr. Hooey, if you ask me. <laughs> no, you're fired. Uh, you're fired. <laughs> I will say that at the beginning of this episode, I was like, all right, yeah, okay, yeah, I remember, uh, like, the, trying to remember back watching it as a kid and going, okay, yeah, this this seems pretty pitched towards uh, me at, like, eight or whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, and then as it got on, I was like, damn. <laughs> no, no, that's legit scary. Why? Yeah. What is happening? <laughs> Oh, wow. That ending was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Look, I've seen the Nightmare on Elm Streets. I've seen the Stephen King's It's. uh, The (laughs) fear-based properties ain't got nothing on this episode of Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) And... And and I'm just I'm giggling with delight at how upsetting it all is. <laughs> um, listen, if you have a fear that is basically anything but spiders, the only thing Buzz didn't put in here is spiders. But do you fear isolation, growing old, uh, 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 losing your way, letting people down, uh, losing your glasses, body horror? Does any of that upset you? That this episode. Is your nightmare come true? Mm-hmm. Holy uh, shit. Um, but- the reason there were no spiders in it is I don't like spiders. Okay. <laughs> see, that would have been a bridge too far. See, you get yep. the scoop here. Uh, yep. Buzz, talk to me about uh, uh, what you remember about the process of this episode. Where did all this come from? And what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I got to backtrack a little bit. Uh, yes. I, I was at Ruby Spears. We had mm-hmm. done um, Thundar the Barbarian, and that had uh, come to an end. We did several other shows after that. Um, I was It was just time to move on. And I knew the D&D show was starting up, and several people I knew had worked on it. Uh, Michael Reeves, uh, Steve Gerber, uh, I believe Mark Evanier wrote the pilot for it. And I, I contacted him and said, I'd like to pitch to the show. And they said, well, we've actually got all the episodes committed for this season. They said, but, you know, as a courtesy, come on in, we'll, we'll take a pitch. So I go in and I figure, well... I had been held back at uh, Ruby Spears because they just, you know, being afraid of the network, they would not let me go completely all out with Thundar. And I thought, you know, it's a long shot. Just, uh, you know, swing for the fence. See what happens. So I, I came up with an idea to do, as you point out, the scariest thing I could that did not involve um physical threats to the kids other uh-huh. than aging <laughs> or things like that. And, you know, that's what I pitched and they said, thank you. And, uh, sent me home. So I figured, well, that's the end of that. And shortly after I got home, they said, they call me and say, yeah, we're going to move one of the other scripts to the next season. We want to do this one. Oh, so Nice. I, I got a shot to do uh, Quest of the Skeleton Warrior. 
Now, I had had some background experience at this point with the Dungeons and Dragons properties because um, through Flint Dilly, mm-hmm. I, I had come to uh, meet uh, Gary Gygax. I had gone up to Gygax's mansion. Um, Gygax's mansion, let me just explain, it was like um, the Playboy Mansion, only for D and Ders. So cooler. You know, no naked people running around, but man, you you would just have a ball there. They're just it was it was D and D heaven. Um, Amazing. So I got to meet him. I, I had read over the material. I knew all the different things, and I, you know, when I was figuring out who should be the primary uh, adversary in this. I thought, well, why not a skeleton warrior? Because a skeleton warrior, give him a motivation. All the villains that I had written for Filmation and Ruby Spears up to this point, they were your standard Saturday morning villains. They're bad because they're bad. They're greedy. They're this, they're that, the other thing. They never have um, any in-depth motive for what they do. And I thought, well, okay, I got a skeleton warrior. He wants... He doesn't want to be a skeleton anymore. He wants to be returned to his original form. That's not an unreasonable desire on someone's part. You know, the average person can identify with that. Yeah, I I wouldn't want to be a skeleton either. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I put that in and then um, Avenger, of course, twists the knife and says, well, I can can turn you back, but you got to do something for me. And now we have this story where on the one hand, you're going, well, I I really feel sorry for the skeleton warrior. I would like for him to get returned to the way he was. But at the same time, he's scaring the crap out of uh, the heroes. (laughs) And, you know, I just, I wrote it as scary as I possibly could without crossing the line. I was was being very careful (sighs) not to have any direct physical violence, direct threats of death, but just, you know, anxieties that I knew little kids had, uh, you know, play up to them. I didn't cross the line. Says you, Buzz. (laughs) 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 Yeah, this is, it's absolutely wild. And that's real interesting that, okay, I can't be physically threatening to the children. So I'm going to unleash horrific psychological horrors on them. Oh yeah. Well, no, look, that you, is great. You play the hand that's dealt you. Um, at oh. when I, we were doing Thundar, they used to give us all of these, uh, ridiculous restrictions. Um, and when we got picked up for a second season, they, they told you, they being the network told Joe Ruby, well, we think the show is too violent and we're going to be, we're going to be cutting down on the violence next year. And Joe, you know, he was he was in a dither. He said, "Well, you know, pretty much the violence is the only thing we got going for us." Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I said, "You know, we know it's a writers' meeting." I said, "Well, what we need to do is write a second season opener that is so violent, even if they censor it, it's still going to have a lot of violence in it, and uh, that way, afterwards, if we write something and they try to censor it, we just point to the season opener and say, "Hey, you let us do it then." And they'll let us do it again. That's a great point. And, yeah. and Joe said, well, who are we going to get to write this incredibly violent episode? And every eye in the room turned to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was um, uh, Wizard War. And uh, I mean, 
in terms of plotting, it was it was about the simplest story I ever wrote. Uh, Thundar, Ariel, and Ukla come riding over the top of the hill. They see two wizards having a war. We must stop this. And there you go. You know, at that point, you got uh, mud zombies on one hand. You got robots on the other. And since both are non-living things, you can tear the crap out of them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for 22 minutes, it was just nonstop. I, I mean, I was doing stuff like dropping robots into ducted fans so the parts go flying out in all directions. <laughs> um, Good stuff. And they they sent the script to um, uh, ABC, and, and ABC pretty much had a heart attack. They <laughs> cut out half the stuff I wrote, but... It achieved the objective. We had enough left that for the rest of the season, they couldn't hamstring us. We we were allowed, you know, by pointing to the uh, uh, season opener, we were allowed to do stuff that they otherwise wouldn't have let us do. That's fantastic. The payoff to the story is this. I found this out later. For the next 17 years, <laughs> I was the official bad example at ABC Program and Practices. Right. <laughs> when they would get a new person applying for a job as censor, they would hand him my script. And if they couldn't find at least 50 things wrong with it, they didn't get the job. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So- G.I. Joe will return after these messages. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, <laughs> not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like RoboCop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts, or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. Switch on Charger Tron, robots like you've never seen. Switch on Charger Tron, supersonic machines. Rev the meter till it's red. Launch out the tracker. Switch on Charger Tron, now it's an attacker. Switch on Charger Tron, always changing, rearranging. He's surprising. He's disguising. Charger Tron. Charger Tron. There's Protagatron and Antagatron, each sold separately. Back to G.I. Joe. This episode of Dungeons and Dragons, it begins, uh, I mean, it's a great beginning. You know, so so often you begin with just the heroes doing whatever. But here we actually do with the guy we don't even know who he is, right? We get the uh, skeleton, the skeleton warrior. Uh, actually, I should say, excuse me. The very, very start, we do get the heroes uh, in the intro. Uh, can we hear a little bit of that intro theme song? Uh, Chan, this is your favorite because it tells the story uh, of mm-hmm. the show. I mean, I I loved it then, and I love it now. Hey, look! A Dungeons and Dragons ride! Wow! Neat! Give me a break. I don't like this! Whoa! What's happening? Whoa! Where are we? Et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah, no, it's delightful. So I technically because we start that way, but mm-hmm. we begin this episode with Venger uh, flying on his nightmare horse. Uh, also, and hold it's, on, did, yes. did everybody uh, uh, like uh, was everybody jealous of those kids that there was a Dungeons and Dragons ride in oh, their 100%. world? Yeah, uh, I absolutely. When I was a kid, I was like, why don't Dungeons and Dragons ride here? I also love a good like. Oh, we're we're doing this thing. Oh my god, it brought us into a different world. Like mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I, that's a great opener to any cartoon in my. Yeah, opinion. let's face it. It works here. It worked in kid video. It works <laughs> anywhere you want to put it. It yeah. works in any isekai uh, uh, anime. Like you know, like oh, I woke up and I I was just a nerdy kid, and now I'm like as big monster barbarian or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that oh, happened to me in college. Okay, uh, that's fine. Once. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but Venger's flying around, and he's going to meet this guy who's crow- ha- shrouded in shadow. We don't know who he is. Cool lightning strike effects. It is the skeleton warrior who's staring off a cliff. What a absolute delight. Introduction to a character. I already like him. The bad guy is coming to see him, which means you know that there's some sort of cool power dynamic in play here. It forces the young brain to ask a lot of questions. And we essentially learn that the uh, skeleton warrior has called for Venger because the circle of power that Venger's looking for has been found by him inside the, uh, what is it? The, uh, the lost tower of the celestial knights. But the problem cool is you have to be pure of heart to go inside of which let's face adventure. We are not. And then Venger mm-hmm. drops the bomb. I know six pure of heart souls who'd love to go in there. Uh, boom. I, I, what an intro. What mm-hmm. a, what an open. In- yeah, this whole open actually. And and the, the, the next scene of the kids on the bridge, very Indiana Jones vibes uh, throughout, throughout this. Them, them walking across the bridge, them in this sort of fun house of, of you know, Temple of Doom-esque traps. All very, was I the only one getting Indiana Jones vibes? No, uh, I got I, that. I actually got a mummy vibe from it because as uh, Eric the Cavalier is climbing over everybody, he reminds me of uh, who was who was the uh, oh, um, the yes. dude. Yeah, the character who had all of the every religion's symbol <laughs> around his neck. Yeah, yep, that's yep. a great character. Yeah. Good times. Now, I did say, you know, there is a point here made in the episode of the ranger character who's the leader being like worried that he's a bad leader. I would mm-hmm. argue if you're trying to cross a decrepit rope bridge over a giant canyon in a storm, all going together at once is probably mm-hmm. bad leadership. Nah. I'll put it out there. That's Not probably great. a bad call. No, if they die, they die together. Oh my god, y'all! Yeah, no, I, seriously, logically, that way your party isn't uh, separated. I mean, imagine yeah. imagine two of you get across, two others go when the bridge goes, and then you know two others are left on the other side. How do you uh, how do you get back together? I mean, that's yeah. that's great for an adult uh, action adventure story, but not necessarily for a twenty two minute kid cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. This was this was uh, the, uh, on in the background while we're doing this. So I, I just happened to glance over and I realized for the first time in my life. So since 1983, however many years that it's been, I just realized that uh, 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 main Ranger fella uh, whose name escapes me. I don't. He's not the interesting one, so I don't care. Um, has blonde hair and brown eyebrows. Dude bleaches his hair. <laughs> Where does he find bleach in the D and D universe? Wait, or does he darken his eyebrows? 
that's weird, but I guess it makes a little more sense uh, mm-hmm. given the lack of hair products. Uh, you, you know who the, this? So it's so Hank the Ranger, sure. voiced by uh, Willie Ames from oh. Eight Is Enough. Oh, well. He voices he voices Hank the Blonde Ranger. The blonde. Yeah. So I mean, we should. I mean, really, Bri, I don't have the characters' names, Gina. It seems like you do. But uh, here's the characters of the party, right? So you've got Hank the Blonde Ranger. He's like the popular kid. That's his designation. He fires like uh, uh, magical arrows from his quiver. You've got uh, a Presto the magician. Uh, uh-huh. He's a very very bad wizard. He's the nerdy kid. He's the kid that would actually play Dungeons and Dragons. You've got yeah, Sheila I- the thief who can uh, has an invisible cloak. Like, yeah. um, like you know, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or whatever. This and is this is the character I would play in yep. in D and D. I'm I'm often a sneaky thief when I play D and D. We uh, we had to jump through some uh, program practices, pra- standards and practices hoops, and explain on the show not uh, not in our episode, but in earlier episodes that a thief was a different type of person in the Dungeons and Dragons world. They were oh, not sure. somebody who stole um, yes. things from people, but they recovered lost objects. Yes, because, yes. Uh, it, it is, a, it is yeah. a very, in the in the D&D world, you can be certain things like a rogue, for instance, which well, we call, we call thieves rogues these days. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that was my most recent character. I played a rogue, and I was very good at at sneaking around and stealing things. So, but no, no different than real life. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the the I don't know if you remember, but at the time there was like um, a a double pronged attack on Dungeons and Dragons, the game. Mm-hmm. One from religious fanatics who were convinced it was it was Satanism in disguise, yes. and the other from uh, anti-violence people, uh, in particular this guy Thomas Radecki. And Radecki found one use of the word rapine, R A P I N E, which means basically uh, looting a village. It's like when a when a, a okay. A, a horde of vandals comes through and just steals everything. But it was used in one of the uh, Dungeons and Dragons playbooks, and it was used properly uh, to refer to looting a town. But Radecki um, twisted it around so that it was, uh, oh, they're they're going in and they're raping people. Of course. Ah. And uh, no, no, it was not. It, we're using it correctly. But it was one of those things where you keep repeating it. And it gets through. spread. And yeah. so, you know, uh, Gygax just recognized we're not going to win this one. And he just took the word out and, you know, changed it in future editions. The yeah. payoff to this story is that Thomas Rudecki later became a therapist and was sent to prison for molesting one of his ah. clients. Ah, ooh, Always. no, one left. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> but also, yes, deserved. You know. mm. it, it's true, though. Like, if you repeat something and enough people say it out loud, then it becomes true. That's how I know that Donald Trump was robbed in the 2020 election, and it's mm-hmm. finally time we all just admit it to ourselves. Am I right? Uh, Can I get an amen? As, yeah. Mm, uh, oof. 
The other characters involved in this show yes. are Bobby the Barbarian, who's I think the younger brother of Sheila. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. He's and the he youngest. Baby Barbarian. It's adorable. What a great character design. Uh, Diana the Acrobat, um, which gets diversity on this show. Uh, unlike a lot of shows of this era, there are two women, and one of them is of color in this party. That mm-hmm. was not done in the early 1980s. Good yeah, job, and D&D. she's also she's also like the cool, brave, athletic one. So yeah. I'm I'm into it. I like I like an acrobat character. She is. And then my guy. Now look, my, when I was a kid, Presto was my guy because anybody in fiction who wore glasses, I identified with because I wore glasses at a very young age, and I have grown as a person to appreciate Eric the Cavalier so much more wow. than wow. any of the other characters. Oh boy. I was wow. going to say the same thing because I was a Presto guy. And uh, if I think back hard enough, I feel like um, the uh, the Ranger's bow uh, really impressed me as like an awesome weapon. Yeah. So he was kind of also like on my list. And I hated uh, uh, Eric. I hated him. And I watched this episode. I'm like, dude has a point. Oh, he's yeah. like the voice. I mean, the Wikipedia p- page describes him as the spoiled child originating from a rich home. Yeah, he's a but rich then kid. it goes but then it goes on to say on the surface he's a big mouth comic relief coward, but he has a heroic core. So maybe you guys are responding to that heroic core. No, no. Not even a little bit. <laughs> oh. uh, I mean, look. Then, yes. If if we uh if we took a poll and you said, okay, which one of these kids, uh, once I got back to Earth, like a few years later, ended up playing lacrosse and uh, has pictures of him in blackface at a party, <laughs> you would choose Eric. I would choose Congressman Eric Cavalier. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so yes, not or, or, Supreme, or future Supreme Court justice. <laughs> yeah. I, I loved him, and I did not, I had forgotten how much this character like hits with me now until I saw this, and I was just like, hey, that's my guy. Um, and then, of course, finally, uh, Uni the Unicorn is voiced by Frank Welker, because uh. if you're in the 1980s <laughs> and you do not have an, a talking animal of some kind, Played by Frank Welker. What are we even doing here? What's mm-hmm. the point? Yeah, that is that is a hard and fast rule. What character is Frank Welker going to play a, a, in a series of uh, animalistic noises? That's it. <laughs> uh, and of course, oh. and I, also Venger, voiced by Peter Cullen, Optimus Prime. I had forgotten that walking in the door until he opened his mouth. And oh. I was like, ooh, it's Peter Cullen. Neat. <laughs> uh, Buzz, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say the reason there were two female characters yes. is that um, they they had to chaperone one another. They they couldn't have a single female character in in a group that was traveling about in open country without parents. So really? they had to have two females. Interesting. That's why Scooby Doo had two. Yep. Exactly. Oh. Okay. See, we're learning things today. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay. So here's the deal of uh, dungeon master appears uh, on the bridge. And, uh, of course the, uh, he says he gives him some, you know, mystical mumbo jumbo. And of course the bridge breaks. So they got to pull themselves up. Eric, the Cavalier crawls up the bodies of everyone else to get up. This is why Eric is awesome. This is why Eric is so excited to get back because he knows when he gets back, he has a trust fund waiting for him and his <laughs> life will be good. Um, and uh, I, I would do, and they all attack the skeleton warrior who easily, uh, stops them. I will say Diana, uh, what are you doing in this attack? 
she puts her pole in the ground from seemingly 30 yards away and then tries to fling herself. I don't even think she would have reached him had he not blasted her out of midair. I'll just put it out there. The Space Marines laser pulse rifle didn't do anything. You're going to try and kick him. Yeah, Mm-mm. you know, Mm-mm. that's... That's always that's always the Fallout uh, 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 video game joke is that I'm wearing a full suit of power armor. I've destroyed three different like warrior clans around the nation. But you, uh, a drugged out uh, 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 survivor with a fork is going to come after me with a fork <laughs> and a pool cue. Yeah. Yeah, man. Bring it. <laughs> it's a good idea. Uh, it does not work out for anybody here. Skeleton Warrior says, now that you've all attacked me and failed, maybe we should talk. And they're like, yeah, all right. Well, that'd be a good idea. I will say I, that yeah. part of uh, what suckered me in was that because at the beginning we see the Skeleton Warrior and he's kind of skeleton-y. I mean, uh-huh. he's gaunt. He's, he's you know, like a Hollywood Boulevard gaunt. <laughs> but he's not like bones. And I was like, okay, I see. Like, you know, it'd be a little too scary to have like a full-on skeleton for little kids so they kind of you know make him a little fleshier so he's not as scary um and then of course uh didn't realize that, that was just to lure me in uh, yeah yeah it was just to make you think you weren't going to be horrified yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then then we go through the the fun of having a campfire uh, moment where he's like altering the campfire to tell his story this is some c-3po stuff right here and i love him for it uh, he is made of magic. He blasts the campfire. He's spinning it around, turning it into like rings. And I'm just like, yeah, you should probably listen to this guy. He probably knows what's going on. Um, he says, you guys got to go to the tower, get the ring of power or the circle of power. That will give you the power to go home. But it's also what I need for my quest. What do you say we turn this into a side quest of your lives? And they're like, uh, yeah, yeah, I think now- I'm going to do that. Now, here's the thing. I I would also say yes to this skeleton man. I would say I would say, all right, either he's lying and it's going to be a weird, fun adventure, which why else are we in this magical land if not for weird, fun adventures? Or I would say, oh, there's a chance he's telling the truth just because he's a skeleton doesn't mean he can't also be a good guy. So I would say yes to this. I have a feeling the two of you, since you sided with Eric in this episode, would both (laughs) say no to this poor, poor skeleton man. No, uh, no, I 100% disagree. The ring can, has, do I have any chance to go home at the end of this quest to my trust fund and my yacht (laughs) and my yacht inside of another yacht? Yes, I will do this quest. Uh, I'm here for it. Good. So if we're ever in the middle of a podcast and we get transported to a magical land, I'm expecting you to say yes to. No, but Gina, that's where you're wrong because here in real life, I don't have a yacht inside of a yacht. So I would not be as excited to get back. Wait a minute, I have to go back to take care of a, of a three-month-old? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, no. Wait a minute. I get to stay in this magical realm of adventure fighting dragons with my magical weapons, or I get to go home and podcast. <laughs> oh, like, man. Am I sleeping on the ground in the uh, cold without a, like covers? Yes. Am I getting a full eight hours of sleep? Also, yes. Mm. I think I know where I'm headed. Worth <laughs> Um, so we decide to go inside the castle, uh, which is bigger, as we said before, bigger on the inside than the outside. This castle is, it, 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 it goes up to the clouds and by the outside, it only appears to be about 20 feet wide. And it just is, Buzz, tell me, is there any story about this castle? Where did this come from? Um, I lifted it straight from Conan, uh, Tower of the Elephant. Oh, not very cool. Yeah, that would very be a cool. Thing. That's fantastic. 
Um, and this is when the first moment of like, I don't think we're in Kansas anymore was when one of the statues reach out and grabs Sheila's cape. That yeah. was already upsetting. She's then running behind him, falls down a portable hole into nothing. <laughs> Yeah, and this is this is fascinating because her whole thing is that she she is like really afraid to be alone. Uh, uh, she's like even the Wikipedia page describes her as emotionally vulnerable with a great fear of being alone in the realm. So this is immediately her worst nightmare. Just the fact that she's separated from the party is like her worst nightmare. So it's it's psychological warfare inside this castle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, we this, it's just the beginning and so she ends up in some sort of like empty void world that's e- never ending there's nobody there there's very little there it's 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 just a plane of existence that you would not want to be and when we come back to her it's a close up on her eyeball <laughs> like yeah. i wasn't skeeved enough already here we go you got yeah. eyeballs yeah. hold on did we skip over the part where they're coming up to the castle and they're trying to get in and there's a big old lock and they have a thief <laughs> and the thief does nothing. The thief we did. We did. whose only skill at level one is picking locks and they go to the barbarian to knock it off with a stick. I mean, it worked. Not yeah. Happening. Yeah. Not I appreciate happening. this. This is, this had real um, Indiana Jones pulling out a gun and shooting a man, shooting the guy with, the, with the whip vibe uh, I mean, or, or, or like, or with the knife vibe. Like this was like, Eric is immediately like, Oh, well it's locked time to leave. And then the barbarian just hits it. <laughs> Look, we're in episode nine of season one. This is early on. The people with these characters don't quite know what they do yet. We're still figuring stuff out. We haven't min maxed to death at this point. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, I know you wouldn't expect it, but uh, uh, nine-year-old uh, me was very much like 48-year-old me. So <laughs> uh, right from the get-go, I was like, uh, magicians aren't magicians. They're magic users. Uh, Cavaliers don't exist. They don't come out until uh, the next edition of Unearthed uh, Arcana. Um, oh. there was, it wasn't in the original player's handbook. And so like, uh, that character that class didn't exist at the time. And I'm like, what is this nonsense? And Acrobat, I mean, it was years before that was uh, ever a thing. Um, that was definitely so- Unearthed Arcana. The, uh, the the one that really won me over when it came to D&D books. And so I'll keep going back to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just I was just saying, like, as a little kid, I was uh, a snotty little pedant. And I was like, this isn't real D&D. Hmm. You were sniffy <laughs> towards D&D. D&D. You're right. <laughs> It is no different than 48-year-old Robert Clark Again, you killed that child years ago. I am. I'm better. I am better. But uh, uh, Mm. the boy and I'll show you the man. That's listen. I would I would beat up both the boy and the man is all I'm saying. I'm aware. We know that you're a bully, Gina. We've established this. Even though you are not aware that you're a huge bully. You absolutely were. Uh, Whatever. At least that was cool. (laughs) Say that. Uh, And so, um, and so, yeah, Buzz. I want to ask you about this because we're going to get into some more of the fear-based stuff. Essentially, this is the moment of the episode, or about halfway through, where poop starts getting real. Everybody starts getting separated, and when they get separated, they get tormented by their worst fears come true. Uh, Where, where, where? What? What's wrong with you? (laughs) Uh, uh, Where did this come from? 
Uh, I I can't remember if the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, movies had started yet, but the idea of fear being used against people, uh, that had cropped up in a lot of uh, Warren comics stories. And I was a a big fan of Creepy and Eerie when they were uh, being published. So that, that was always lurking around in the back of my head. And I seem to recall there's some other movie or TV show where where fear was used as a weapon um, that also had just, it, it had just been festering back there. So uh, it was ready to come out. That, that boil was ready to pop. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, geez. Oh, Pete, it's perfect. Yeah. Get, get more of that for me. More body horror. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> Uh, ni- uh, 1984. So the next year is when Nightmare on Elm Street came out. But you made up for that when season two of G.I. Joe with the Nightmare on Elm Street episode that also ruined my childhood. <laughs> 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 um, because I was I, 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 that was the one that really got me was though I never saw any of the movies until much later in life. Nightmare on Elm Street, because I knew that they were just going to they were just going to do me. And what I wish I could have gone back and told young, terrified of the world, Ray, is that you should go see these movies because the stuff you're imagining is 10 times worse than the actual stuff that's in the movie, which eventually gets very silly. And I wish I would have just not been such a scaredy bitch. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That said, I was already afraid of the nightmare on Elm Street property. That episode of G.I. Joe came out. I knew exactly what it was doing, and it also um, made me very upset. (laughs) Did... Have you ever seen a movie by Mario Bava called Black Sunday with uh, Barbara Steele? No. Okay, this is a 1960 Italian horror film. Love it. it uh, watch the the full version if you can find it. Um, it it is a great moody atmospheric horror film. It's not one of these bang 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 one one thrill one jump scare after another type movies. It just builds on you. And when I was six years old, my father took me to see um, Dinosaurus, which was a um, Jack Harris, the guy who produced The Blob, also produced this movie. And it basically in Puerto Rico, they find underwater, frozen in a cave, don't ask, uh, two dinosaurs and a caveman. And they bring them out, and they get struck by lightning, and they get revived. And so for the rest of the movie, you've got these two dinosaurs and a caveman running around on the island. And at the end of the movie, uh, there's a steam shovel fighting the Tyrannosaurus. Oh, my God. I mean, Amazing. This, this, this was a movie that was made for six-year-old Buzzy Boy. Okay? <laughs> so my father takes me to see this movie, and it is it is a good kid's film. Okay, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. If you're if you're six years old, you'll love this movie. Before the movie comes on, they run a trailer for Black Sunday. And whoever cut the trailer together, apparently their philosophy was, let's take the most nightmarish images from this film and put them in a whole 90 seconds oh my you God. Know, to show to the audience. And that hook sank deep. Oh boy! Um, it is it is really a nightmarish film. Um, I mean, Baba, as you know, could just t- twist the knife like nobody's business. And uh, as much as I enjoyed Dinosaurus, Black Sunday was what stuck with me. <laughs> Dinosaurus <laughs> was really the carnosaur with Diane Ladd of its generation. 
<laughs> uh, I also Black Sunday available for free on YouTube. Uh, a link has just been posted at GI Joe Podcast. Yeah. Uh, if you'd like to go and check that out, uh, I will be watching this movie later. That sounds uh, fantastic. And yep. uh, so great. basically, what what other people did to your childhood, you did to mine. And now I guess it's my turn <laughs> for the for the youth of today to make something so terrifying. <laughs> Um, and I say that with all the love in the world, uh, I'm a better person for it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. So let's, let's get deeper into the horror as of course they're walking around this castle. They're looking for Sheila. And of course that's when we're going to get separated again. So Presto and Eric, the Cavalier are going to get sucked into their own realm. And Hank is going to get separated from everybody else on his own. And then uh, Diane and Bobby are going to get separated with Uni, and we're going to have four different places for our cast. And this wall that Hank gets uh, absorbed into and like put in—it's—it's it's cool. It's—I can't even really describe how you do it. Little circles of glass, and then they just sort of keep appearing and multiplying until the doorway is completely filled. It's a large doorway, and then that's it. We're done. We're separated. Um, neat, neat imagery. And I liked it. Yeah. All of this is very cool. Yeah. Well, a lot of it came straight out of the D and D books. Uh, I, I had, uh, you know, thanks to, uh, my friendship with Flint, I had had a lot of exposure to the D and D stuff. And before, uh, before developing a story, the pitch to the show, uh, I'm, I think Flint lent me a couple of books that I could go through and just, try to find, you know, ideas and things that, uh, you know, I could use because too many, I was told too many of the people who came in to pitch, they just viewed it as a generic, um, fantasy show. And they were introducing characters that, that either didn't exist in the D and D world or conversely, uh, didn't have the same quality as the characters would have in a D and D world. So um, the fact that I knew who these characters were and, you know, what the classes were and, and the different yeah. threats, that, that helped me quite a bit. Well, yeah, you, you seem knowledgeable walking in the door. They're going to want to listen to what you have to say for sure, right? Yeah. Um, and then even the little moments of this filled me with existential dread. You know, Hank is, a, he, he gets separated. He's like, what do I do? I shot my arrow at the wall and nothing happened. What now? And so he sees a stairwell. He starts running up the stairwell, which crumbles into literal oblivion underneath him, revealing the vast emptiness of space. Yeah, you heard that right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm even watching it now. I'm like, this is so upsetting. <laughs> this is really unnerving to me. Uh, thankfully, like he gets through it. He gets over. Well, the okay, the scene ends. We know he gets through it because he's still alive in the next scene. Uh, also a great moment because Presto and Eric the Cavalier are are in... I know, so I don't have to say Presto and the Magician. I say Presto, you already know. Uh, that's, that's how you know <laughs> it's a great name. Hopefully it's we already name. know. Yeah. Uh, they're in like an enchanted dark forest uh, with, you know, wonderful kind of a swampland almost. And Eric turns and walks into a tree and says, who would put a tree here in this hallway? <laughs> what a dumbass. And, and Presto correctly says... Um, we moved, not, you know, the tree, the tree is in its rightful place. You are the one who is out of place. And those, I loved it. It was a turn of phrase. I adored. Yep. That's yeah. Just, I think around here is the point where I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm like, I'm a different human being now. 
And uh, yeah, I'm totally on Eric's side and all yeah. this. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. Also, there's a scene where Eric's like, I'm not here to be laughed at. And then like a sheet pops over his head and turns him into a body horror donkey faced monster with gigantic donkey ears and a gigantic punchy nose. I don't even know what you would call it. Yeah, this this is a real this is a sheet phantom, which is a real D&D thing. Uh, which can, you know, like they can, they can turn them into, turn people into sheet ghouls. Uh, uh, but yeah, this is, so this is cool. This is a cool twist on a, you know, like if he was an adult, maybe he would, maybe if this was an adult show, like the Witcher, maybe he would have been killed, but yeah, but him be like him looking foolish is one of his fears. So it's, it's very cool. Uh, now, I will say, as someone who I have worn glasses since I was six years old, the guys know this, I am legally blind. So I have I now have graduated to hard contacts, which they still make, but only for the blindest among us. And uh, and so Presto's fear is losing his glasses and not being able to see some real Burgess Meredith in the Twilight Zone mm, stuff right here. I like that. <laughs> uh, and I spend way too much time thinking of this thinking about this that if there if in the context of if there was ever an apocalyptic event i would be doomed if i could not find my contacts because i even even my glasses are, are i'm still legally blind with my glasses on uh and and apparently interesting fact after 9 11 this was such an ingrained fear in pe- in people that there would be a disaster and they would not be able to get to their glasses that uh, laser eye surgery skyrocketed in Is the two years right? after 9-11. Wow. The two years after 9-11, people got laser eye surgery like they had never done before. And so jokes to on me, them, they were really bad at laser surgery back then. <laughs> No, no. I, th- oh, okay. it, by, by then, it was it was it, they, it was okay. Uh, oh, okay. Not everyone is a candidate for it, like myself. But yeah, I'm not either. I, like this is a anyone who has worn glasses and cannot see without them. This to me is the most realistic fear in this. In I this. Just, first off, I like to think that there is more than one group in the world out there who says, like maybe not out loud, but definitely inside their hearts. Ugh. Thank God for 9-11. Like those laser surgeons <laughs> were like, Christ. you know what? I, I know it's, it's real bad. It's real bad. But also, I'm making oh, a mint year. That is great. Let me. Um, <laughs> yeah, also- it's those guys and whoever sells prepper materials were really, <laughs> oh. they were like, wow, that my, my windfall has come in. <laughs> uh, the other thing is that uh, um, as a kid, I kind of think the losing glasses thing was was a more present fear for me. Nowadays, I'm just like, dude you'll be fine you're not that blind <laughs> uh-huh, uh and uh-huh. you're you know you'll find your freaking glasses don't worry <laughs> about it but the the fear that uh eric has like when he says i'm a i'm a i'm a nerd <laughs> i was like like uh it i i don't actually have that fear that you know someone's gonna come up to me and go nerd um but like it feels it felt more real. Like his actual <laughs> fear is, you know, like that sort of ostracization and, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. uh, like, the, that's what I like yeah, that's what I like about the character is like, they, they feel like legitimate human, uh, uh motivation. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, when he's being a dick, he's being a dick. Cause he's scared of, you know, everything that's going on around him. 
uh, as a little kid, I'd be like, oh, that's mean. And I was a adult. I'm like, oh, yeah, I see where that comes from. I, uh, I do that all the time. Yeah. Well, I, I just want to. Yeah. Sorry, Buzz. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say this. This is why I consider this script a milestone in my career, because up until this point, um, I had not really delved into uh, character relationships uh, character's sense of self-identity, things like that. You know, you'd be given a, a, a show Bible and it would say, um, you know, such and such character does this, does that, does the other thing. And, and you would write the story incorporating that. You There was like never any interior person, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, we would get a show Bible and the characters, no matter how obscure or minor, they, they were all really great characters, great people. They just, oh, he tries a little too hard sometimes or things like that because, you know, the networks were convinced, um, you know, everybody has to be perfect in the show. Yeah. Can't show uh, flaws. And, That's boring. Yeah. And uh, this was a chance to, you know, using fear to explore who the characters were, what motivated them, what what drove them. Um I had read the Bible. I think I had read the um, pilot script as well. I had a broad idea of who the characters were, but as I started thinking what would they be afraid of, I started looking at each one and thinking, well, the one that's athletic, they're going to fear getting old, not mm-hmm. being able to move and whatnot. Yep. The one that's the the youngster and always feels that, you know, the rest treat them like a baby, literally start, you know, um, uh, regressing into an infant. Yeah, brilliant. And when I did that, then those aspects of the characters came out more. And it was, it was, it was the first time I was able to write both, uh, antagonists and protagonists who were more than one dimensional. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to claim that this was great writing, but I will, there was at least two dimensions to the characters. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. And uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was very rewarding for me creatively and um, it, it helped move me forward. And I think I would like to think that my work on Joe and Transformers and the other Sunbow shows uh, benefited from being able to do that because God knows if I kept knocking out Ruby Spears crap at that time, I <laughs> what would happen to me. <laughs> Yeah, I will say that that so so you know Presto basically he he loses his glasses and then these banshees come to taunt the two of them so that this is this is their fear and then we and then you know there's Bobby and Diana and they walk into this like sort of funhouse mirror place and they see Bobby sees himself turning into a baby Diana sees herself growing old. And, and these are both brilliant fears for the exact reasons that you said, but I was also reading a recap of this episode and they made the great point that, that Diana's fear is multi-layered because, you know, she's, she's the most athletic among them, but she's also a competitive gymnast 
and gymnasts peak really early. Sure. And so by the time they hit 20, they're already their careers are often over already. So her fear of getting old is sort of multi-pronged. She's afraid because she's too weak to help the party, but also she it's probably something that's constantly on her mind as a young gymnast that oh god, I'm getting older. So I exactly. do think this is brilliant exactly. writing. And it's it's not just that she turns old, she turns decrepitly upsetting, just again, more body horror as she is just slumped over, her <laughs> face is all like sucked in. Uh, it is one of yeah. the more upsetting things I've ever looked at in a cartoon. I'll just say it. Yeah, the 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 art is very disturbing and, and very cool, in my and, opinion. <laughs> and then once we've enfeebled both of these heroes, we send a half dozen zombies out of the walls to attack them. Thanks, I, I, I assume that's Uni's fear. Uh, uh, Uni, Uni was, is afraid. Yeah, because that was that was the face that Uni first saw in the mirror. Oh, yes. that's, okay. That's a legit fear. Like uh, unicorns uh, on point there. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, and also, you know, we uh, cutting back for a moment, you know, the vanity of uh, 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 the Cavalier, of Eric the Cavalier, uh, becoming a, uh, you know, bottom from Midsummer Night's Dream, effectively. <laughs> Hold, on. Hold on. Yes. Oh, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> a nerd. Presto's voice nerd. actor is incredible. <laughs> I just want to say he's so good. He's so good. Um, yeah, I love it. And Eric loses, uh, and uh, Presto loses glasses. It's all fantastic. Uh, you know, and I think it's really interesting to use the, what did you say, Gina, the sheet monster, the sheet, uh, 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 ghoul, ghoul? Uh, sheet, um, yeah, what are they called? Because I, I, I want to say that was very appropriate. Sheet phantom, sheet phantom. The sheet phantom. It, yeah. it is appropriate because once I saw what Eric looked like, I sheet my pants. Oh God, you're fired. You're fired. Uh, yeah. Can I say buzz? Uh, we, we have been making our way through all of the, the GI Joe's. We are now up to GI Joe. Oh, Sigma six, which is the two thousands GI Joe. And we will often have the refrain of, we wish this was as well written as the <laughs> Sunbow era, as the, the, as the Buzz Dixon episodes, et cetera, et cetera. And this to me is a great example of, of I think in, in a less skilled writer's hands, they would look at a bunch of kid characters and say, what are their fears? And it would be, you know, sort of surface, surface level things. Uh, you know, monsters or or the dark or what have you. But but one of these characters is afraid of of being alone, of literally being <laughs> alone. Another is afraid of of being being old and useless to the party. Like these are these are very well constructed, well thought out fears. Uh, so kudos. <laughs> Yeah, and and Hanks too. You know, he falls. He the stairway eventually ends at a brick wall. He falls into oblivion, lands in a room where again, as a leader, the actual end game, the circle of power, is there in front of him. But there is also a crystal ball that lets him look into the realms of where all his friends are, and he has to see that he was able to accomplish the goal, but has let every other person in his life down to their death along the way. I, God dang, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be a, a leader being afraid of of not being a successful leader, and him like being you know fifteen years old. That's 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 rough day. That's messed up. If that's only people, of, if only a... the leaders of today had that fear. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As opposed to using their position to enrich themselves and their families. I could be talking about any leaders right now, really. That's I mean, true. honestly, you kind of are. Honestly, yeah. yeah any, anywhere yeah. in politics and corporate uh, uh, structures. Um, uh, okay, so let's get to some things here. Er, uh, Hank figures it out. He says, look, none of this shit's real. Uh, we're fine. I'm going to talk to you through the crystal ball. I'm going to guide you through this. All you got to do is not be afraid of the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And then th- the moment of the episode to me happens where uh, uh, Eric jokes with Presto, are you going to pull an aircraft carrier out your hat to deal with this, which is a weird thing to say. That is a weird pull, Eric the Cavalier. I did not understand where that's coming from, but then Presto mother effing does it you out of that dumb hat like an aircraft carrier uh, yeah Africa Navy United States Navy yep and, and next then- thing you know they're standing on an aircraft carrier and all <laughs> the sheep phantoms ram into the side of it and die it's incredible <laughs> what a wild pull not seeing that one coming also the, those banshees probably the the network I may not have asked for something like that directly, but from my experience with the network, um, the bigger and more outrageous something was, the more likely they were to let you do it. Love it. For example, um, if if you had a character raise their fist, not even to strike, just to shake it, oh, that's too threatening. That's too scary. On the other hand, if they magically gesture and a huge storm cloud appears above them with lightning bolts shooting out, well, that's fine because, you know, a little kid can't summon a storm cloud. So they can't actually do it. I, yeah. I probably just figured what's the most ridiculous over the top thing I can pull out of that hat. And <laughs> there we are. I loved it. I loved it. It was just fun moment. Uh, everybody ends up getting there back. Was, there was some rich yeah. kid who had a USS flag that pulled it out oh. and smacked some other kid with oh, it because of this cartoon. How dare you, Robert Clark Chan. Be on your conscience. They couldn't do that because I know how the flag was put together. We put one together in uh, Sunbow, and it, it does not have the whole strength to do that. <laughs> oh, take that, USS flag. <laughs> uh, the design of these banshees is pretty scary for a kid's cartoon. It honestly is. Like, yeah. their faces yeah, yeah, are... I'm like, pretty sh- sure that everything that was in the cartoon started in a D&D manual. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Got filtered, got filtered down to where the network would accept it. Except in the case of the Sheep Phantom, which you made 10 times more horrifying, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, so everybody's back. Uh, the zombies are about to kill. Now, I don't know. See, this is the one moment because, you know, they're old. There's a baby, unicorn, six zombies about to eat them. And then they Hank's yelling, don't be afraid. <laughs> and somehow in this moment, they have this is like Green Lantern, Hal Jordan levels of willpower to suddenly just be like, yeah, you're right. I'm not scared anymore, <laughs> but it works. You got to go for yeah, it. Yeah, because because Hank is a leader and they trust him. See that? Yep. Yeah. No. Eyes together. I love it. Yeah, it, it was it was a moment I'd be like, they're stronger than me because I would still be afraid, even with <laughs> Hank shouting at me. <laughs> Um, so let's go back. The, I did appreciate also the skeleton before they left. Instead of just standing by the front door like a weirdo, he's like, I'm going to go. I'm just going to get those ruins over there. I'm going to go hang out over there for a while. You guys come get it. Uh, and then they go and it's Stonehenge on like a giant cliffside. And that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
That's where he's hanging out. Those are the ruins. It's Stonehenge up a path. This is just straight D&D magic stuff. And they go there and, and they're about to hand him the, the circle of power. Dungeon Master shows up and he's like, hey, guys, you might want to know some things before you just give this stranger the item that could get you home. And he tells the story of the Skeleton Warrior, which was not expecting to get. It's fantastic. He was one of these celestial knights. He sold out all the other celestial knights, uh, got them all killed. And so he uh, himself was cursed to be an eternal skeleton warrior and live with the shame. And, you know, it's like, all right, cool. I get it. And they say the circle must be broken. So in my mind, in my mind, it was like, you have to do something nice for him because he did terrible things. And then that will show niceness in the world. Maybe I... Maybe I'm a, a bad thinker. I don't know. What y'all think of this? Y- yeah, you are a bad thinker. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I guess I didn't pull that from it, but I did like the idea of like uh, a cycle of abuse being broken by, you mm-hmm. know, uh, a, you know, kindness and letting things go kind of thing. Uh, probably not what was intended, uh, but uh, I liked it nonetheless. Again, as an old man, it re- it resonates. Yeah, I, and I will say, like as a as a kid, I was big into like reading uh, things like Nancy Drew, and I would oh, I was like I always thought I was really smart if I could solve whatever whatever crime of the week, whatever mystery of the week there was before Nancy Drew did without because I didn't realize like that that's how they wrote them. So I know that if I had seen this and the and the dungeon master had given that clue that like oh a circle must be broken for like that I would have been like oh they gotta they gotta break that circle and I would have felt really smart you guys <laughs> I and it never worked once solved an encyclopedia brown really oh, okay no. well then i guess i was smart <laughs> you guys you know there's one encyclopedia brown i did it one time and it was the greatest day of my life i'm gonna uh, tell you what you it was what, though, like i i'm gonna, I no, I'm gonna tell you what it was because i need to say this gina oh, because God. there was a bully and he used to walk around rattling two coins, rattling coin in his pocket, right? And he would just walk around town, and it, and for whatever reason, he was rich, and he had coins, and he'd rattle the coins. And so it was just that. And so that kid is like, I got accused of a crime, and I did not do the crime. So they go to talk to the witness, and the witness says, uh, uh, oh, I saw him. He was rattling those coins. That's how I knew it was the boy. But then they emptied the boy's pockets and there was only one coin and non-metallic items. So it couldn't have been him because he couldn't make a rattling coin sound. Ray got it. I'm the best. <laughs> Good, Ray. I'm glad that that still in your 45 years on earth is your still your greatest accomplishment. A moment that will live in infamy. <laughs> I I am sad, but also if I had solved an encyclopedia Brown mystery, it would also be one of my greatest accomplishments stick too. So uh, you guys should have been, you guys are reading the wrong things. You should have read Nancy drew. Uh, that's your first mistake, but I will say, you know, like in, uh, this is something we've talked about before, you know, especially in, in a lot of, in a lot of cartoons then and now there was such a clear cut, good and evil, no shades of gray. And so to me, I like the fact that this, this character, you know, did, did actually did these things actually was bad, actually did betray people. Uh, and, and the, the dungeon master is basically like, yeah, but like, what's he, he, is he supposed to suffer 
forever? Like, is that what you kids are saying? And the kids are like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's like this, this moral gray area of like can it. he be redeemed? Is it, yeah. is it, he served his prison sentence. Shouldn't he be able to vote now? People. Yeah. <laughs> he, it's a real, it's a real RPG moment where it's like, here's a, here's a nebulous, uh, uh, you know, a thought process, th- thought e- equation. And you, you tell me how it's going to work out. And, and I loved it. I could see this happening in a video game or a tabletop RPG all day long. I really, really loved the the moments of that. Like it's, I mean, this is the freshness, dude. This is the hotness. Yeah. This is not linear. This is a little gray and it makes Ray happy to see it. Almost as happy as solving an encyclopedia <laughs> brown book. No, no. You're right. It can't be that happy, but still happy nonetheless. Um, but so this brings us down to Avengers here. And I do like the fact that, like, they can't defeat Venger. <laughs> like, kind of cool. Like, you know, uh, there's six of them plus Uni. One Venger, and he's just up there blasting at him. And mm-hmm, there's really mm-hmm. not much they could do about it here in their, you know, early level campaign. And so they're just diving around trying to make it work for them. Hank loses the ring. And and he's just pounding on him. Skeleton, uh, the skeleton, Skelly man, uh, Skeleton Warrior, he does... I, I kind of like this moment because Venger uses his telekinetic magic, pulls the ring up to himself and starts blasting away with that now. And, and skeleton warriors like, all right, you got it. Did my part. You got to fulfill your bargain. And Venger's like, actually <laughs> he, he debate lords him. <laughs> He's actually, I use my magic powers to pick it up off the ground just now. So you didn't technically give it to me. So no, you don't get to get to, to get your thing. What an asshole. <laughs> yeah, he, he's it's a very like sort of a, a legal loophole argument that he's using here. And I, oh. I enjoy it. <laughs> and tell me that didn't happen in in just about every D&D campaign at some point. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. absolutely. And every schoolyard, I would also point yeah. it out. <laughs> uh, just magical. And this is where, you know what? And this is where Skeleton Warrior gets the juice. He's like, oh, I figured it out. I need to do the nice thing to break the circle. That's what the dungeon master was talking about. <laughs> what an idiot. He was thinking metaphorically and not literally. <laughs> and so, you know, he, oh, Hank gets blasted and he's turning into like a, a skelly man himself. So this is the point where Skeleton War is like, I had enough. Blast him in the chest. And Venger has a moment where he like clutches his chest and it was like, oh, my pearls. <laughs> what have you done? I am outraged, sir. I there was a point uh, here where I did turn a little on Eric, uh, uh, and I, I sort of reclaimed a little bit of that uh, uh, youthful disdain for the character because uh, they're trying to figure this whole thing out. What did Dungeon Master say? Who cares, dude? That's the whole <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? It's the right answer. <laughs> this is a puzzle. You're supposed to figure it out. Like the Sphinx is like, what walks on four legs? I don't give a damn, man. Let me go. No, Eric's the guy in the party saying, can I just roll for it? <laughs> no, this this is this is why Ray likes him because someone is like starting to give him a riddle, and Ray is like, you know what? I stopped paying attention halfway through. Can yeah, you out. can you not ask me to solve riddles right now? <laughs> I, that's what I that's what I loved in the D and D movie the the portion where they're getting ready to cross the bridge and it's being explained to them oh, very yes. carefully and <laughs> boom. 
whoops, did I do that? You know, <laughs> amazing. Uh, no, I just Ray, you yeah. in order to get through the power of the Sphinx and reclaim your ancestral home, you must explain to me the first season of Legion. I'm out. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> Cannot do it. I'm sorry, everybody. Sorry about our ancestral home, but we ain't going back. Uh, I'm gonna find a new place to live. Maybe this cliffside um Stonehenge works out. Um, but it's really, really rad. Yeah. And this is where we go. It's not metaphorical, it's literal. They literally throw the circle of power up in the air. Hank shoots it with his magical arrow. Presto does figure it out because, of course, he does. He's the one to figure it out. It's delightful. It's delightful. And then it breaks the actual literal circle, which then causes a skeleton warrior to turn into, I'll say it, a real uh, a real delf. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's, he's unskeleton, which, you know, that has to feel good. It has, you know, like, have you ever like worn a pair of sneakers all day long and you go home and you take them off and you're like, oh yeah, that feels pretty good. It's got to feel good to get unskeletoned at the end of many years. Counterpoint. You're, uh, looking the, you you had that best beach bod for hundreds of years. All of a sudden you over in a, in an instant, you gain 50 pounds. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> also, like, imagine getting the skin back and being like, I forgot how itchy this is. <laughs> <laughs> but let's face it, he's a good look. Do you say he's not old enough? This guy's like thousands of years old. What do you mean he's not old enough? Who said he he's wasn't just a old young enough? looking guy? And he's riding a rock. Uh, uh, they call it like a war eagle or whatever they call it. But that's a rock, which is a giant like a mount eagle. And no, I, a, I no. lost my shit. It had a lizard uh, tail. Like, like the it had no hind legs. It had a lizard back. That was oh, not a rock. It? Yeah, oh, I thought it I was a rock sure for sure. Was. I think it's a basilisk. Oh yeah, Wow, maybe yeah. yeah. Guys, let's argue for ten more minutes about what animal. This is. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get nerd cred on the internet. I hear. That's a real D and D game there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I loved it. Yeah, I think uh, you might be right. That's a good call. Eric, Eric. If you wrote it. You would know. <laughs> <laughs> Eric won his way back into my heart. Stupid unicorn. What you say? I said I like my uniform. Stupid unicorn. Mm-hmm. Into it. Yeah, yeah. This, this is fun. This is a fun, this is a fun, fun episode, fun ending, too. Yeah, because yeah, uh, the vortex when the when the when the ring explodes, it opens up this like gigantic like nexus vortex thing that everybody's like flying through the air. They gotta hide behind the stones, and then Venger's like, "F this, I'm out of here." And he get he because he can't even mess with these this magic power. He gets out of there. Everybody's cool. Everybody wins, and then they walk off into a literal uh, uh, sunset or sunrise or a giant sun is up taking up half the screen, <laughs> and they walk off into it. And I am filled with joy. Buzz, <laughs> thank you so much for bringing this episode back into all of our lives. This huh? was, uh, and it, 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 you've been on the show enough times now. Uh, uh, we call it as we see it. This was brilliant. Yeah, this was yeah. a delight. Thank you. From thank start you. to finish, it was a delight. And we thank we you. don't usually watch delights uh, these no. days. We, we watch a lot of what our Patreon subscribers uh, suggest to us to torture us. The worst mm-hmm. episodes of cartoons that they can find from throughout the years. So this was a true delight. <laughs> yeah. 
We're always afraid that when we watch something that's too good, it's going to be boring. I don't think that's the case for this episode, though. <laughs> I think we avoided that entirely. <laughs> yeah, well, that that was the goal from the start because uh, yeah. you know, I, I whatever else I do, I want to entertain my audience. That's it. Well, mission accomplished on that. Uh, any final stories about Dungeons and Dragons about this episode? Any last things that you meant to get to that we we never we never got to? Um. I, I can't recall. I mean, I think we pretty much covered it. Uh, I I would have loved to have done more episodes, but, uh, you know, events being what they were, I ended up at Sunbow. Pretty and good deal. I was just, uh, uh, you know, I got ensconced there, and, you know, that turned out to be a good home for me. So it sure did. Uh, I never, never got a chance to do another one, but I would have loved to have been able to do one more. Absolutely. So uh, are we going to look for like a, a, you know, a a future, like a novel coming out uh, of uh, your other thoughts about, you know, the Dungeons and Dragons uh, property? Is that a thing? I'm going to be very honest with you uh, in the topic of novels. um, um, uh, Cheeky, for instance, um, Cheeky had like a 13 year uh, gestation period. Wow. Because uh, when I came up with the idea, the, the, I, I looked this up, the oldest notes that I have go back to 2008. Wow. And it, it took a long time to find the right angle of approach for that story because it's, I knew it would be inherently a funny story, but um, it, it, it's one of these things you got to sneak up on, if you know what I mean. You, yeah. you just can't say, uh, oh, one, one day everybody decided to go naked. I mean, that doesn't work. You have to figure out how you get to that point. And, um, you know, there are all these screenwriting gurus out there. They've got the save the cat formula. They got this formula, that Uh formula. uh Um, There is one person who has what they call the snowflake formula, which um, he uses the term snowflake. I would have suggested something else, but basically he's talking about fractals and, you come up with an idea and you think of a variant on it. You think of a character that that idea could work with. And then you just keep adding stuff to that until finally, whatever the story is going to be starts to take shape. Um, this this is not a good system if you're working on deadlines like we frequently <laughs> work on television. Yeah, for sure. Then, then you are pretty much compelled to use, um, you know, formula. You know, you, you're, you're certain number of act beats, save that damn cat, that sort of thing. But uh, when I was reading this thing that he had written, I realized, well, that was pretty much the approach to, to all the uh, novels that I've written and worked on. I, I just let them grow because I know instinctively if I try to force something I'll only end up ruining it. I it won't it won't develop um, logically and it won't develop emotionally the way it should. So cheeky took a long time because uh, primarily two problems. Number one, I I didn't know who was going to instigate this thing. I had the wrong person starting it and for the wrong reasons. And two, I didn't know how to end it. And um, the breakthrough came when I realized that uh, my focal character, the person whom the story is told through, that's a character named Bixby Knowles, 
Bixby could not be the person who instigated this thing. Bixby, out of necessity, had to be more of a reactive character as opposed to somebody starting it. But there was a friend of his that I realized um, this guy is, he's kind of like Jughead. He's kind of like Maynard G. Krebs. Uh Um, uh There is a mischievous side to him. So I just turned up the volume on the mischievous side and I had him discover the uh, long forgotten clothing optional law. And then because he wants to be, um, he wants, he basically wants attention. He wants people to pay attention to him. Uh, he's always pulling pranks and doing stuff to, to just irritate people so they're forced to pay attention to him. And this seems to him to be like a perfect summer prank. And, and from, one, from one perspective, yes, it is indeed a perfect summer prank, but then things start happening and expanding in other directions. Um. Once I, I figured out he would be, his name's Dimbulb Gilhui, by the way. <laughs> once, I, once I figured out Dimbulb would be the person who got this thing in motion, yeah. uh, the story seemed to come together, you know, fairly well. I, it took me, though, forever to figure out what the ending was because my original ending was going to be some old guy decides to shame the teens by going down and taking his clothes off. And the teens go, oh, that's ugly, and we won't do it anymore. And I realized that's just stupid. That 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 completely undoes, uh, no pun intended, everything that I've been doing in the story up to this point. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, again, going back to what they call the snowflake method, uh, I took a bit of advice that Ray Bradbury once gave, which was, if you're stuck on a story, just start writing a list of words associated with what it is you're trying to do. And sooner or later, uh, whatever it is that's going to be the solution will pop out at you. So I just sat down and I was thinking, well, what would small Vermont towns have? And I just started writing up a list and Covered Bridge popped up and I realized, aha, now, I'm not going to tell you how the covered bridge pays <laughs> off. You're going to have to read the novel. But the moment I, I recognize the covered bridge has to be the, the end to it. And sure enough, everything fell into place after that. And it took me only two and a half uh, months to write it. Wow. So amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Look, uh, this cheeky, everybody, you got the link at GI Joe podcast, uh, on Twitter. You can go ahead and find it, subscribe. Uh, I'm still learning how the whole Kindle Vela uh, thing works, but, uh, uh, you can go on there and what did you say? You get 200, uh, just for a free, just signing up for it, you get 200. I got my 200 free tokens, free tokens. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm right. going to have to sign up. Okay. I'm claiming right here, 200 <laughs> yeah. tokens. I'm claiming mine literally as I say this. All right. I now well, also have three two hundred tokens. While you're messing around with Amazon instead of podcasting like a genie professional, <laughs> I asked uh, uh, the patrons uh, if they had any questions for Buzz, and we got a couple questions. So, oh, well, let's go great. while we round out our time. <laughs> uh, JRC one word long asks uh, if there's ever a chance that uh, the Kindle GI Joe novel could see print anywhere. That's the most dangerous man in the world. Yeah. It's yes. Great. Love it. Um, I, I will say when you use the term chance, yes, uh, but I, I have, um, there's, there is no immediate uh, plans for it. Um, uh, 
I have, we tried pitching it to IDW and uh, we did not know at the time we were pitching it that IDW had, had been informed they were not going to be keeping the license. So they, they just blew us off without, you know, any explanation. Um, the new company that has the Joe um, uh, license, uh, I've had people say, you ought to go and talk to them. And I say, uh, I'd be delighted if, if somebody would uh, facilitate that because, you know, I don't want to go, uh, I don't want to approach the wrong way or the wrong person. And so, if somebody, uh, you know, affiliated with them or somebody who works with them said, yeah, let me introduce you and, and see if they're interested, I would be delighted to uh, let them uh, adapt it as a graphic novel. But right now, at this moment, um, it's it's available if anybody wants it uh, to do as a graphic novel, but there are no active plans. Oh, okay. Okay. Make it happen, people. Uh <laughs> Also, uh, and I admit this is kind of a routine interview question, but does he have any comedy writers he admires, like a P.G. Woodhouse or Art Buckwald or Douglas Adams? Absolutely. There was a uh, humorist named H. Allen Smith, and he started out as a newspaper reporter, and he got into um, Hollywood PR work, and from there he became a humorist. He's got like... 30-some books, uh, novels, anthologies, uh, books of essays. Um, If he's remembered at all today, he wrote a novel called Rhubarb, which is about a cat who uh, inherits a baseball team. Oh, my gosh. And it was made into a movie. And uh, if you're you're an old movie fan, you may have seen it. Um, He was, he had this great sense of humor he had this very dry, uh, understated humor that you know he would he would say something, and then it would take you a beat to realize how ridiculous it was and how funny it was. And I stumbled across one of his books. It was called Poor H. Allen Smith's Almanac, which is a crazy book. I mean, it is just made up of news clippings and short jokes and uh, short stories that other people wrote and things that he wrote. And it, it, if you're familiar with fanzines, it's as if somebody published a fanzine in paperback form. And I immediately fell in love with, with his style of writing, and I started looking for his books. I've, I must have about a dozen, at least, in my library. He's, he's hard to find because people have forgotten all about him, and this, that's a tragedy because he was really very funny. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, H. Allen Smith, huge, huge influence. And uh, while I'm at it, Carl Barks too, because I grew up reading Scrooge McDuck comics and mm. it, it is hard to find anybody who wrote uh, comics better than, than uh, uh, Carl Barks. He was, he was an absolute master at it. I got, I have all of those. Uh, um, I think it's Fantagraphics maybe who's re, uh, republished them, but I've, I've got all those volumes on my shelf and I'm just waiting for uh, the age where my kid, I can start reading them to him mm-hmm. real close. People, people have asked me, what do you think is the best graphic novel ever written? And I tell them a Christmas for Shacktown and they laugh and then they see my expression and they go, Oh wow. He's serious. <laughs> you know, yes. A Christmas for Shacktown <laughs> is the greatest graphic novel ever written. 
Nice. Awesome. There's a lot of good ones too, so that is really saying something. Yeah. Um, guys, I don't but, know if you know this. Uh, graphic novels, kind of good. Yeah, one or two. Just in general. Yeah. Um, well, Buzz, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody check out, as we said before, Cheeky on uh, uh, Kindle Vela, uh, which is an Amazon. And I have now, uh, well, I will be subscribing once I'm able to, but I have 200 tokens in my pocket, ready to do it. And uh, I love the way Amazon, much like the free Twitch monthly subscription, if you're not, if you're on Amazon Prime and you aren't just subscribing to somebody <laughs> for free every month come on y'all there are a lot of low level streamers out there that will appreciate it more than you know i mm-hmm. give mine every time i'm on there uh to somebody who you know doesn't have as big of a following i'm just saying you should do that you should do this you should do them all you should join our patreon patreon.com slash knowing is half the podcast if you were on our patreon and you were around on a certain day, you could have asked Buzz Dixon a question, a thing we probably should have set up days ago. But thankfully, Robert Clark Chan at least thought of to do it like when he did. Yeah. Professional. We got, a, we got a couple of good here. questions in there. Got a couple of good questions. I like mm-hmm. it. I like it. Uh, Buzz, any last things you want to say before we get running? Uh, it is always a pleasure to be on the show. Um, Gina, Robert, Ray, uh, it's always a delight. And, um, you know, anytime you can bear to have me back, I'll be delighted to come back. Oh, uh, you know, we love having you on. Yeah. We would have you on every week, Buzz, if that <laughs> was an opportunity. Let me just start there. We're just afraid of wasting your time most of the time. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for talking about Cheeky. Thank you for introducing us to this fantastic D&D episode. Amazing. Yeah. And and Buzz, I'll ask the question right now. Would you like to come back and watch an episode of G.I. Joe Sigma 6? Oh, no. Say no to what? that, Ray. No. <laughs> Say, Ray, don't ask oh, him that. Oh, technical problems. Buzz is having trouble. <laughs> is uh, I'm trying to remember. This may have been the one that I um, wrote the Bible for. Oh. That was G.I. Joe Extreme. That was G.I. Joe, oh, Joe Extreme. We, okay. we talked about that right. before. This is no. the... 10 years later, anime inspired G.I. Joe. <laughs> oh, no, I have, I have, I, the name has bounced around, but I haven't, uh, I haven't seen it. I'm going to, just to let people know, I mean, this is not a snobbery thing. This is just how I keep uh, my sanity. When I'm finished with a project, it's, it's over. I put it down and I walk away from it and, and other people are allowed to play with the toys at that point. And I've had people say, well, what do you think about what they did with this or that or the other thing? And it's like, I did what I did. I'm happy with it. Yep. I'm done. I Anybody who came after me, I wish them all the best in the world. And if they did something I, I would not have thought of doing, more power to them. I mean, you know, everybody has a chance to express themselves. It's a very so, emotionally healthy episode. Exactly. I mean, very healthy. Otherwise, I've, I mean, I've healthy. seen people who are like still bitter over a comic book they wrote for 25 years ago. Uh, you know, they got booted That's off true. of it and they're still, you know, ticked off. And it's like, that was ages ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's no longer on anybody's radar. Uh, and, and you're, you're actually kind of ruining your chances for it ever coming back by, by kvetching about it. So just through them. Yeah. Yeah. Just it's, accept it's the only it. healthy thing. Look, I'm still bitter over a job. I got screwed over at six years ago. I found out recently. I still have emotion about it, but I'm like in a 10 times better place right now where I am. So it's like at a certain point, I need to let that emotion go. Right. Isn't that the only yeah. healthy thing to do? 
Yeah. I mean, because this is the thing. You you never know you never know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. Um, I got drafted when I was in high school. Uh, they they actually told me they actually checked my um, my grades and said, "Yeah, you your your grades are good enough to graduate. So even if you flunk everything, you're going to graduate. Uh, we'll let you finish high school, but we've got you." And 72 hours after I graduated high school, I was in the army. And you know, you can be bitter about that, but the upshot was by being in the army, I was stationed in Korea. By being stationed in Korea, I met my wife. We've been married about 50 years now. We're very happy. Okay, so, you know, being drafted right out of high school may not have been fun at that moment, but looking back, one of the best things that ever happened to me. And there it is. Yeah, it, it's it, life ain't nothing but a funny, funny riddle, said the great sage John Denver. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, all right, everybody. Well, that is Knowing is Half the Podcast, and that is the Dungeons and Dragons episode, The Quest of the Skeleton Warrior, episode nine of season one, written by one Buzz Dixon, who has joined us here today. We've already plugged the Patreon. We got Facebook.com slash Knowing is Half the Podcast. And, you know, we're getting up against the time. So, Chan, Gina, anything you guys want to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I'm currently on strike, so no. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm currently eating snacks in a nice air-conditioned office. So, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, uh, go play uh, League of Legends for no particular reason. I just think you should play it. It's a great game. I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> this multi-billion dollar game you know but but raise the one who's gonna help me get into it that seems a little a little weird but maybe go for it it's wonderful it's a wonderful property i've been playing for over a decade which is crazy think about that uh otherwise everybody thank you so much for joining us here buzz once again i cannot say enough thank you so much for joining us and bringing this Thanks into our lives me. Absolutely. Anytime, literally, although not for Sigma Six, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, any anytime you've got anything you want to talk about, just just hit Ray up and, and he will let us know and it, we would we will book you. Uh, we will book sir. you quickly, uh, as it Thank turns you. out. Yeah. Thank you very much. Real yeah, quick. We, 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 <laughs> yeah, we don't need much provocation to have you back. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, and everyone, uh, so I appreciate everyone that. go go follow Buzz on social media and go check out Cheeky. That's right. Are you still on Twitter, Buzz? Uh, Buzz Dixon writer? Is that I got, I got kicked off Twitter uh, before it was cool to get kicked <laughs> off. Oh, no. So now only half the people on this show still have a Twitter. Yeah. yeah. But it turns well, I, out... I, 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 uh, I made a comment that a political party was likely to get drowned in a blue tsunami. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Twitter said, oh, you can't say threats against people. If you, uh, if you apologize and take that down, we'll let you back on. And I thought, no, if, if you don't understand, that is clearly metaphorical. Uh, I don't want to be any part of this. This is too crazy. And so I never, I never backed down on it. I just went, fine, you know, okay. If that's if that's the ruling, that's the ruling. I'm done. And uh, shortly after that, uh, Ellen took over, and um, I I I am missing all the fun apparently. But I see no. other people posting stuff. So the site barely works anymore. I'm having constant yeah. issues with it. You yeah. are missing absolutely nothing. 
Well, I, I will say this. This is one of those hidden blessing things. Um, it, it apparently put a torpedo square amidships on Ron DeSantis's campaign. So, oh, boy, did it. <laughs> yeah, crazy times, crazy times. Yeah. Well, thank you again, everybody, for joining us. You heard all the links, of course, at G.I. Joe Podcast individually. I am at Almighty Ray. Chan is nowhere. I am at Gina Ippy. And Buzz is also nowhere. Ah, I'm at uh, uh, www.buzzdixon.com. Oh, fantastic. There you go. That's where you go. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode. I have no snazzy thing because I've embarrassed myself in front of Buzz Dixon enough already. Good night, everybody. Look out! Fear not, ranger. Barbarian, magician, thief, cavalier, and acrobat. That was Venger, the force of evil. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. Hello, dear listeners. Do you enjoy playing video games with your best friends? Then I have the pod for you. I'm Philip, host of The Gaming Together, a cooperative podcast. Each week, my co-host Nave and I break down a cooperative experience in gaming. And we are always looking for new co-op partners to join us. So come play with us on the Gaming Together podcast. So I'm standing over this toilet taking a piss and I'm playing my Pokemon and I dropped it in the toilet. I remember the Game Boy just tumbling into water. And I remember screaming for my mom trying to get this Game Boy. Wait, how old are you? And she yelled at me. She yelled at me. Oh and I was my just, god. Like, traumatized. I was like, no, my, my Pokemon. That's Gaming Together, a cooperative podcast. Come on down, co-op partners.